Chapter Ten of The Blue Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Angelique G. Campbell, September two thousand eighteen. The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. Prelude to the Servants' Ball under the colored lanterns swinging from trees there were already a score or more carriages lining the side drives coachmasters talked in groups the doors of the hall stood open a wide bar of light silhouetting those who came on foot from the opera hall and turning to a more vivid green the tender grass violins sounded piercingly as rodford joined the throng at the entrance striving to walk with clodie's slight strut he saw how all the floor beyond was covered with jewels and flashing feet, while nearby the mingled voices were so high that only the rhythm of the music was audible, with women's laughter riding on all like a foam. Right behind him, a bearded prophet of Mancheret showed the slim legs of a girl through an artfully torn silken robe and tossed at him a rouge ball which marked his white jacket. He must weave his way to the foot of the stairs around a group gaily trying with tinsel swords to attack an armored capajon, pausing to bow before any one of twenty queens. Halfway up the stairs in the dim of the balustrade, an archer of the guard, with his star badge picked out in emeralds, was kissing a sea witch in flowing blue. They disembraced at his footfalls. The sea girl leaped up and threw her arms around Rodford's neck, crying, Snow Lord! from Kajor Manash, I will melt you. Did I not tell you, Sir Archer, that witches are all fickle? But are tamed by those who battle for them, said the archer, as Rodford gave her the kiss she sought. Behind her eyes was nothing but reckless pleasure. My lord of Kajor Manash, I challenge you. Will you duel or die for her? Oh, fie! cried the sea-girl. No one shall ever tame me, and giving them each a box on the ear in a single motion, ran lightfoot and laughing down the steps to throw herself on the capajon, shouting that he was her prisoner. Lost, lost, cried the archer in mock agony. Come, my lord, let us make an alliance for the conquest of witches less fickle than the marine i will provide the arm and you the purse from that secret gold mine which all kajor manash keep ah sir archer it is magic gold and at the touch of a witch would have vanish rodford bowed and turned up the stairs for most it was still too early to retire to the boxes the corridor behind them was empty of all but one small group of masks laughing together rodford waited a moment with beating heart turning to toss one of his snowballs of perfumed fabric at random into the crowd below he thought someone down there in the group might have cried clootie as the people at the end of the corridor entered their box and he was alone the handkerchief was in place it was more than a little dim for him to be sure of the color but as he took it from its place with a little tear there could be no doubt that the perfume was rose eight paces counted in automatic nervousness carried him to the door of clodie's box music and voices were muted from within it was an island of alone the feeling deepened by everything in view 
other servants than damaris had been busy the reek of flowers was heavier than ever even the chairs were garlanded and the odor enhanced by a tall candle which stood on the sideboard left of the entrance sending a tiny curl of perfumed smoke into the still air around the candle were viands beyond the sideboard against the wall a divan with rolling edges round chairs facing the panels where the box would look out over the dancing floor if the panels were let down and the curtains drawn back there were two chairs facing the table and it was laid but in the centre only the bottle of fired wine is cork already drawn rodford poured himself a dram and drank it rapidly savouring the warm shock as it coursed down his throat he wondered if he dared take a second draught and decided against he would need clear wits to play his part a slice from the ham made him realize hunger but again he forbore to go further it would be ungentle to disarrange the meal before the arrival of his guest he walked slowly across and seated himself in one of the chairs looking outward toward the blank panelling twisting his back into the comfort of the seat but without finding rest from below the high note of a violin and crescendo pierced the hangings one might be one of those gods of antique legend who sit on the shining mountains with heads above the clouds and control mortal destinies to whom all below would be what he heard now a babble with an occasional note of agony ah to be the controller instead of the controlled the door was tapped so rapidly that the chair was overset rodford leaped to his feet picked it up cursing his clumsiness strode swiftly to the door and threw it open on the threshold stood the prophet of mancheret who had teased him with the rouge ball he bowed over her hand drawing her in and as the door closed declaimed now that winter's gone the earth has lost her snow-white robes and now no more the frost candies the grass or casts an icy cream upon the silver lake or crystal stream now do the choir of chirping minstrels bring in triumph to the world the youthful spring the valleys woods and hills in rich array welcome the coming of the longed-for may now all things smile only my love doth lower nor hath the scalding noonday sun the power to melt that marble ice which doth still hold her heart congealed and make her pity cold how shall we call it spring when she doth carry june in her eyes in her heart january in a half whisper yet joyously with laughing lips as clutie might have done it passing one hand around her shoulders with the other holding tight to her hand a northern lord to complain of the cold and to instruct the prophet of love in love she said and countess iaeus thrilling voice if it were only this one i will not grant your right to sue until you have proved love your prophet ah that would be up a scene said rodford the fired wine working in him but it was too dim to wring truth from her eyes you must convert yourself to a woman before you can convert me to your sacred love oh love does not remain true love when its longings are satisfied therefore the sacred which can never be satisfied is above the profane she said stepping to one of the chairs at the table with a graceful play of ankle 
her hands went up to slip off the head-mask and she sat back hair falling round her shoulders i am a little weary my lord of kasia marnash give me something to drink that will warm your wintry wit her fingers toyed with a goblet but he took one of the festival cups from his belt poured it full then as she drank disengaged it from her fingers and finished it himself lips carefully at the place where hers had touched the edge not worthy of you my lord is this the promised originality go catch servant girls with such tricks alas he said using the same half whisper the voice was the danger point true love and longing have no tricks only the expression by every means of its desire let me contest your heresy that satisfied longing is the end of love for in love the momentary assuagement only leads to further longings he poured her more from the bottle and this time took the other cup himself the glint of her eye momentarily caught held some slight anticipation of pleasure but there was more in it of weariness with the world no if it only would she said and turned her lovely head aside i am hungry my lord he leaped up at once and began to serve her from the sideboard while the joyous tumult from below and along the corridor became louder and someone in the next box was making high festival with squeals of women laughing and the rumble of men they ate talking a little more of the nature of love and whether it lives by satisfaction or the lack of it she drank more than he there were spring cakes he set one before her but she only tasted it and pushed it away whereupon he left his own untouched and ran around the table to gather her in his arms you are the only sweet i need he whispered feeling at once strong and weak but she avoided her head from his kiss and when he essayed to hold her she shook herself free with no ah, let us not spoil it lovely Aya, do not say that i implore he cried slipping down with one arm around her waist his face close to the sweet hair of her turned head and now with a fired wine and nearness it was not of maritzel of stojan rosic he thought of maritzel lost or of lalette or of the interruption that would come but only of desire and he slipped farther to one knee not saying anything any more only drawing her hands to him and kissing them again and again she took them from him and lifted his face gently to look him straight in the eyes for one long breath in which the sound of the twittering recorders came from the floor beneath then the countess aelia rose a trifle unsteadily to her feet and as rodford rose also holding her in the circle of his arm said shall we kiss his face was in shadow as the full lips met his but as he swung her from her feet toward the divan her eyes came open and he saw in those deep pools that she would resist no longer only hope that it would be better than the others he half fell across her with fingers and lips that devoured each other the creak of the opening door shivered through every muscle be careful my lord said clodie's voice strongly by the service what's here rodford rolled himself a foot the thought of that other union unconsummated in madame Kaja's garret shouting a trumpet through his mind and making him now glad glad of this failure and around to see clutie 
all in his purple costume, with a pudgy duke of Agramans, as between the two a mask dressed as a bear. The man was very drunk. As the lolling white head came upward in its swing, Rodford found himself looking into the eyes of the people's friend, Baron Brunovar, and even in the dim light was appalled by what he saw there, for the man was not only drunk, he had a witchery upon him. The mouth opened. Shh, my always darling, said Brunovar thickly, and disengaging his arm from Clutie's, swung it in a round gesture. Glad you found her for me. Agamemnon's released the other arm. The baron took three stumbling steps toward Aea, and as she slipped his clutch, stumbled onto the divan, pushed himself around, focused his eyes with difficulty, and cried, Now I found her. Festival night. Go on. Leave us, and I do anything you want tomorrow, my lord. Agamemnon's round face had gone cherry red. That I can credit, my lord, he said, looking steadily, not at Brunovar, but at the Countess Aea. There more since I once would have done the same, but it is too high a price for the temporary favors of a bonaroba. The Countess laughed. The pleasure of your grace's company has been so small that you must not blame me if I seek elsewhere. She turned to Cludie with a certain dignity. As for you, my lord, I know whom I have to thank for this shame, and believe me, I will not forget it. He bowed. If the memory lasts until the next time when you laugh over having given a rendezvous you never meant to keep, I shall feel myself repaid for my troubles, he said. Ah, she has been deceiving you, too, said Agamemnon's and turned toward Rodford as Brunovar made one more pawing effort to grasp the girl. And who is this? I think I should like to remember him. Concentrated venom streamed from his eyes. Why, since this is another costume of mine, I think this will be my rider, said Clutie. Take your mask off, Bergelin. Rodford drew it off slowly, not knowing what to say, but the Countess Aea spared him the trouble. I see, she said. It was all planned, not a part only. At least he has a heart, and so the advantage over any of you. She stepped over to take the young man's arm. Sir, will you escort me as far as my pavilion? Clutie stepped aside to let them pass through the door and down the stairs. What? Unmasked already, my lady? cried someone in the gay crowd round the door, but she did not turn her head until they were out in the shadow, when she released his arm with, Now, go. From within the hall came the moan of violins. Part Two He woke with scaly tongue, head spinning in the fumes of the fired wine, and body burning with unfulfilled desires, to the clink of silver on porcelain, as the maid Damaris bore in his breakfast tray. She was already in costume, a milkmaid, and not badly done. Her eyes and feet were dancing. Oh, where did you get the lovely Kajer Monash mask? She asked as he propped himself up among the pillows, and giving him the tray, went to run her fingers lovingly over the white silk where it hung across a chair. It's the most beautiful thing ever. 
i'll be so happy to be with you in it count clody lent it to me the maurice what is it sit down a minute on the chair no matter i'll ruffle your beautiful costume was it made in Kasia Monash? she sat facing him on the bed as he moved over to make room the neck of her milkmaid's dress was cut low enough to show the upper round of her breast with a little in between and the blue star told him that she noticed and wanted him to notice that it was festival day when all's forgotten in the new spring damaris about this ball i'm afraid i won't be able to go with you after all rather than angry her face was woebegone to the edge of tears a world was crashing in her thoughts you don't want to be with servant-class people he reached out and patted her hand conciliatingly of course i do with you but damaris you said it cost three spottles and i haven't hardly any coppers even oh she perched her head on one side and looked at him bird-like in her prettily arched brows i can let you have that much then seeing the expression on his face you can give it back to me when you get it from your master he did not really want to go at all headache and the thought of his position with cludie and the duke of agramans gnawed at him he could not think clearly i i i don't mind really but i don't want to take your money i may may not get any she considered looking at him sharply with eyes narrowing then i know you don't want to go with me because i'm not your friend she tipped suddenly forward one arm round his neck and kissed him hard then drew her head back and with a long breath said will you go with me now i she kissed him again tongue-wise and as her lips clung shifted her body and with her free hand guided his to the v of her dress her eyes said she did not want him to stop and he did not near the end it came to him that the blue star was dead he could not fathom a single thought in her mind end of chapter ten recording by angelique g campbell september two thousand eighteen